Please turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 22 this evening as we finish out the book of 1 Kings. First Kings 22, beginning in verse 1. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you not know that Ramoth-Gilead belongs to us, and we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria? And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramoth-Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are, my people as your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And they said, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there not another, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imlah. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes at the threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Chaanah, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As the Lord lives... What the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth-Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he said to him, go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you that he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? And Micaiah said, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing beside him on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, Who will entice Ahab that he may go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said one thing, 
And another said another. And then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord saying, I will entice him. And the Lord said to him, by what means? And he said, I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And he said, you are to entice him and you shall succeed. Go out and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these, your prophets. The Lord has declared disaster for you. And then Zedekiah, the son of Cha'ana, came near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, How did the spirit of the Lord go from me to speak to you? Micaiah said, Behold, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide yourself. And the king of Israel said, Seize Micaiah and take him back to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's meager, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, Thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him meager rations of bread and water until I come in peace. And Micaiah said, If you return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, Hear all you peoples. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you wear your robes. And the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now the king of Syria had commanded his 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only with the king of Israel. And when the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. And so they turned to fight against him and Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. But a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. And therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of battle for I am wounded. And the battle continued that day. The king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians until at evening he died. And the blood of the wound flowed into the bottom of the chariot And about sunset, a cry went out through the army, every man to his city, every man to his country. And so the king died and was brought to Samaria. And they buried the king in Samaria. And they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria. And the dogs licked up his blood. And the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did and the ivory house that he built and all the cities that he built, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Ahab slept with his fathers and Ahaziah his son reigned in his place. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks that even this portion of your word is good and is profitable for teaching and reproof and for correction and for training in righteousness. We pray that your spirit would be at work even now, doing all of those things. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. I think probably one of the greatest gifts from the Lord and and maybe one of the most effective and, and hopefully easiest ways to have an enjoyable life are opportunities to learn by negative example. 
You know, you get to learn by negative example when you're going down the interstate and you see a cop pulled over behind a car with its lights on. You see, oh, there's an example of what happens when you go too fast. Parents are a blessing in this respect because a lot of times, you know, we, the Lord gives us parents and they make a lot of mistakes and the, by the Lord's wisdom, he uh, allows them to communicate those mistakes and allows us to learn from those mistakes before we make them ourselves. Kids in school get to learn by way of negative example of what happens when you misbehave and wind up in the principal's office and so on and so forth. It's a wonderful gift from the Lord to learn by way of negative example, to learn from other people's mistakes. An opportunity to see an action with also the finished consequence and learn from it, namely, perhaps, hopefully, not to do it at all. And this method of teaching, learning by way of negative example, is, is one of the ways that the author of First Kings gets his points across. And he most certainly does it with men like Ahab. Ahab continues time and time again to offer us that particular opportunity, the opportunity to learn by way of negative example, to learn what not to do, to learn from his stupidity, to learn from his sin, to learn from all the things that he does wrong, particularly, particularly with regard to his relationship with the word of the Lord. One of the things that we get to learn from Ahab in this particular passage, one of the things that Ahab kind of illustrates for us about our own hearts is the fact that we are prone to try to manipulate and shape the Word of God to fit our own preferences and our own desires instead of having those preferences and desires shaped by the Word of God. The text obviously opens up with Jehoshaphat coming down from Israel, which apparently sparks a new idea in Ahab's mind. Oh, let's go up and take Ramoth Gilead. Remember, it was taken from us numerous years ago. And Jehoshaphat is, you know, all on board. I am as you are. My people as your people. My horses as your horses. But before heading off to battle immediately, Jehoshaphat kind of raises a point. Shouldn't we perhaps check with the Lord and make sure this is what he wants us to do? Ahab's like, sure, that's a great idea. And so Ahab calls his 400 prophets and his 400 prophets speak. And what do they tell him? Well, they tell him in verse 6, go up for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. And so confident are they in their prophecy that, that even Zedekiah starts enacting this parable. He makes for himself horns of iron and he says, with these you shall push the Syrians until you are destroyed, illustrating what's going to, what Ahab's going to do with Syrians. The text leads us to believe that that though Ahab would have been just fine without, you know, this prophecy, Jehoshaphat, or I'm sorry, the, the text leads us to believe that, that though Ahab would have been fine with this prophecy, he's gotten his okay from his 400, he's ready to go. Jehoshaphat's not quite as convinced. Maybe it seems too good to be true. And so he asks Ahab, you know, isn't there someone else that we can inquire of just to kind of double check? And obviously there is. But there's one problem with this other prophet. 
Ahab says that, that he never prophesies good concerning me, but only evil. Such a statement from Ahab is, is quite revealing. He would, it reveals his preferences. It reveals the fact that he would rather have yes men than true prophets. He would rather, have, he would rather be told what, what he wants to hear than the actual truth. In other words, he's developed a sense of selective hearing when it comes to his relationship with the word of the Lord. He hears what he wants to hear from whom he wants to hear it. And this is obviously kind of not a new uh, mode of operation for Ahab. The 400 probably have a history of telling Ahab what he wants to hear, while Micaiah does not. And so much is proved by the king's courier. He knows the normal mode of operations in Ahab's palace. Zedekiah and his 400 always telling Ahab what he wants to hear, while Micaiah seems to always oppose, always tell things against the king. This is demonstrated when the courier asked Micaiah, won't you just agree with them so we can kind of get on with the thing? Sadly enough, I think the same sometimes comes true in our lives. You know, because we don't like what the Word of God itself says on the face, we oftentimes approach it like Ahab and like the messenger. We run to the Word of God because, you know, that's the Christian thing to do. But instead of reading what's on the face of it, we look and alternate our interpretations so that we don't, re- we don't have to obey what it's, what it's really saying. We often shape the Word of God to our desires and preferences instead of being shaped by the Word of God. It is Christian. It is a Christian thing to run to the Bible and have it speak into our life circumstances, but it's not a Christian thing to try to reshape and manipulate what it says. We're not to shape or manipulate the Word of God. It's it's supposed to do that to us. But we are prone to try to manipulate and shape the Word of God to fit our preferences and desires instead of the other way around. How do we do this? How do we kind of impose our own preferences and desires upon the Word? How do we do this? How do we, how do we go to the Word just looking for justification of our actions and our desires and our feelings and our preferences instead of having, uh, being confronted by it? Well, I think you know, one kind of silly example is, is anger. You know, something happens, someone makes us mad, and so we get angry, and then in the back of our heads we recite Psalm 4-4, and we recite Ephesians 4-26, it says, be angry and do not sin. And so we say to ourselves, oh, the Bible tells me to be angry. This feeling that I'm feeling is a good feeling. It's right. I should be angry. But perhaps we fail to remember that there are different categories of anger. There's righteous anger, and there's sinful anger, and we forget the fact that, you know, Maybe we're not supposed to let anger sit on our hearts for eight months before doing something about it, whether it's sinful or righteous anger. The same goes for other 
particular sins like sex and divorce and marriage and relationships and anything. You name it. Go to the internet. There's, it's not hard to find someone who will justify what you believe and what you feel and what you desire with the Bible. Oftentimes by taking some verse out of context or using some modern Christian quip. It's easy to form our own desires and preferences and feelings and then run to the Bible to justify them with some verse out of context or whatever than to be formed and shaped by the Bible itself. That's problematic. But I think what's even more problematic is the heart behind that method of hermeneutics, that method of reading the Bible. You see, the reason for Ahab's sort of selective hearing is because he only wants to hear what he already wants to do. He has 400 prophets so that in the name of the Lord, they can validate what he already wants to do. He's not interested in being confronted. He's not interested in being corrected. He wants to do what he wants to do, and he wants to do, and he wants the, the word of the Lord to sort of license him and bless him to do it. And that's a heart issue more than it is anything else. Because that's a heart that still wants to be God. That's a heart that doesn't want to submit itself to God himself. That's a heart that's not ready and not willing to fully submit itself to the word. It's a heart that's not willing to listen to what God has to say. That's the problem on the table. And it's a problem that not only surfaces in our, the way we read the scriptures, but it's also, it also surfaces in sometimes how we completely dismiss what the Word of God says altogether. There's, on the one hand, there, there's trying to manipulate the Word of God so that it fits our lives and gives us license to do what we want to do, what we've just talked about. And then there's just complete dismissal which is actually where Ahab ends up and where kind of we get, we get an opportunity again to, to learn from Ahab and the fact that, that our, we are prone to dismiss the word of God when it does not fit our preferences or feed into our desires or justify our feelings. In the narrative, the, 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 the messenger, the courier has been sent and Micaiah comes to the king and what does he say? I think what he says is perhaps one of the most savage statements in the entire book of Kings. And I think it's also, verse 15, one meant to be read with a tone of sarcasm. And when he had come to the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? Micaiah answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. This is not the first time, again, that Micaiah has been called in after Ahab has probably already heard from his other prophets. One reason we kind of read Ahab's comment, or I'm sorry, Micaiah's comment with the tone of sarcasm that we do 
is because if Ahab would have really trusted his other 400 prophets, and if Jehoshaphat would have picked, on the fact, picked up on the fact that they were really trustworthy, then there would have been no need for Micaiah to come in the first place. Right? If their prophecy was actually convincingly true, then why was Micaiah needed? And so he, he says it with sarcasm, go up, right? listen to the other guys, they're right. But Ahab knows they're not right. Jehoshaphat knows they're not right. They don't pass the smell test. It's obvious that the word of the Lord from the 400 prophets is not really the word of the Lord. So that's one reason, perhaps, for the sarcasm. Again, another one is is that this is not the first time that this has happened with Ahab. Micaiah knows that at this point in time, his counsel is most likely going to go unyielded. That's the real reason for his comment. The real issue for us here is that Ahab is beyond the point of responding favorably to the actual true word of God. Micaiah knows that Ahab's not going to listen. And so he says with sarcasm, go, just go. You're not going to listen anyways, just go. So Ahab picks up on the fact that Micaiah may be a little bit snarky and asks for the truth. But the truth perhaps doesn't make him feel any better because Micaiah has had access to the heavenly courtroom. Micaiah the prophet reveals what's been going on behind the scenes on God's throne. Here, in verses 19 and following, we learn what's really been going on. And we learn unmistakably in verse, 30, verse 23 that, that it was the Lord who put a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab's prophets. That it was the Lord who has declared disaster for Ahab. Now, how has the Lord declared disaster for Ahab? Again, by putting a lying spirit in the mouth of Ahab's prophets who would in turn entice Ahab to go up to Ramoth Gilead, and they've done a very great job. But the Lord literally ordains 400 prophets to lie to Ahab and cause him to go up to Ramoth Gilead and die. And we may be tempted uh, here to, to think that the Lord is not playing fair. But just for a moment, before we kind of begin to cast blame on the Creator for His injustice, before we, before we accuse the Lord for not playing fair, and before we begin to feel sorry for Ahab because he never had a chance in the first place, we have to realize the context of where this is being spoken, where this information is being disclosed. All of this information is being disclosed right before Ahab's face. God is not hiding his counsel in secret. He's being upfront with it. He's telling Ahab before his face. This is Ahab's test, if you will. Would he do what he wanted to do, or would he actually repent and yield to God? 
The point of, of this portion of the narrative is not to get tangled up in ethical dilemmas about, you know, regarding divine sovereignty. The point is to show us a man who is so committed to dismissing the word of God that when he is told that he will die if he goes, he goes anyway. The point of the narrative is to show us a man who is deathly committed to the wrong thing. We've complained about Ahab so far in the book because he he just refuses to really be committed to anything. But when he finally commits himself to something, it's his own heart. It's not the word of God. And so the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead, verse 29. Ahab does the same thing in verse 29 as he wanted to do in verse 2. The decision's not altered in the least. It's as if the prophet had said nothing. And so what happens when the true word of God did not align with what Ahab wanted to hear? Complete dismissal. Again, we're shown that, that, that we are prone to dismiss the Word of God when it does not fit our preferences or feed into our desires or justify our feelings. We are prone to treat the Word of God like engine lights on our dashboard that we don't want them to be there, so we just move on and act like they're not there and hope that they go off. But here we're warned. The heart that is unwilling to completely submit to the word of God, it might begin with some sort of hermeneutic manipulation, some sort of us-centered reading of the Bible to justify how I, uh, what I want and what I desire and what I feel. But that's not where that sort of heart ends up. That's not where that stops. It's easily transformed into a heart that not just that it doesn't go to the Bible because it doesn't care what it says. A complete dismissal of the Word of God. Now you may say to me, no, I don't, Pastor, I don't, I don't do that. I would never completely dismiss the Word of God. I think this, this kind of complete dismissal shows up most often when temptations are really strong. When sin seems to look so sweet and when the flesh really, really, really wants something that the Word of God has said it cannot have. Maybe it's something on a screen or maybe it's someone that's not our spouse or maybe it's another drink. Maybe it's whatever. But in those moments we are prone to be just like Ahab. To disregard what God has said is right and wrong. When temptation is at the door, when the flesh is raging with desire and opportunity has presented itself, then we are prone to be like Ahab. And perhaps what what comes after that is the worst part. That instead of 
Instead of repenting of our sin, we begin to reason with ourselves and say, oh, that wasn't really that bad. Everyone does that. It's not that big of a problem. My soul's not at risk. My heart's not at risk. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Or even worse than that, we don't reason at all. We just go on and don't think twice about it. But we need to be warned that when we dismiss the Word of God, it really does expose the allegiances of the heart. Will we submit to the Word of God at all costs? At the cost of my feelings, at the cost of my desires, at the cost of my preferences, or will I let those things determine how I act? In those moments, allegiances are declared and and gods are exposed. And so we have to ask ourselves, who is our God? Is it the world? Is it the flesh? Is it the devil? Or, Or is it the Lord God Almighty? Ahab made his choice. He defied the prophet's warning. His cards are on the table. He has shot his shot, and the God of his heart has been exposed, and the outcome is just as God said it would be. We learn from Ahab again that we we must come to terms with the fact. We must come to terms with the fact that when that the word of God prevails, whether we like what it says or not, or whether we dismiss it or not, that the word of God always prevails. Ahab goes up to Ramoth Gilead to battle, despite the fact that he's learned how it would end. But he's, he's going to kind of make some, uh, make some provisions. Right? He decides to go to battle, but he makes this, this preparation. He, decides, he disguises himself as an ordinary soldier instead of wearing his robes, which would identify him as king. Right? He's going to you know, kind of play it safe in a sense. You know, just in case Micaiah is right, I'm going to dress up like a normal soldier so that no one knows that I'm the king and I'll be just fine. And the way the author tells the story, we're almost led to think that perhaps he, you know, maybe Ahab will get away. Verse 31, 33. Now the king of Syria had commanded 32 captains of his chariots, fight with neither small nor great, but only the king of Israel. In other words, go after the king of Israel. But the king of Israel's dressed up. So how will he be caught? When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, they said, it is surely the king of Israel. And so they turned to fight against him. And Jehoshaphat cried out. And when the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, they turned back from pursuing him. Surely, right, Ahab might have escaped. Maybe his plan worked. Maybe he's evaded the Syrians. Maybe he's hidden from God. Until the mighty and meticulous sovereignty of God sets his sights on his heart. Verse 34, a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and carry me out of the battle for I'm wounded. The king dies. The mighty and meticulous sovereignty of God gets its man. 
Only a few inches of uh, of flesh were exposed. A man couldn't have shot him there if he'd tried. Someone draws the bow at random. Hits him where flesh is exposed. Because the word of God prevails. Whether we like it or not. Whether we dismiss it or not. The word of God always prevails prevails and so much is driven home in verses 37 and 38 the king died and he was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria and they washed the chariot by the pool of Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood and the prostitutes washed themselves in it according to the word of the Lord that he had spoken the word of God prevails whether we like it or not or whether we dismiss it or not the word of God prevails God always wins hide and seek. Can't hide from him. And so what we learn is is, is ultimately it doesn't matter what we think of the word of God, whether we like it, whether it condones or condemns our preferences and our desires and our feelings, it will prevail. It doesn't matter if we dismiss the word of God because it doesn't condone or condemn, or, but, but condemns our preferences and our desires and our feelings. It still prevails. The word of God stands true no matter what we think about it. It's like if you speed on the way home again. If you go 85 and that's 65 on 77 South and you're, you get pulled over and you tell the officer, you know what, I, just, I don't like the speed limit here. And furthermore, since I didn't like it, I just... I just chose to dismiss it. It's not going to change the fact whether you get a ticket or not. What God has said will stand. The word of God always prevails. The larger lesson that we learn from King Ahab and really from the book of Kings First Kings, at least. Is that there is no safety from the word of the Lord. Except in complete submission to it. There is no safety from the word of the Lord. Except complete submission to it. We need to hear that. We need to learn that lesson. You know, and most of us probably don't kind of put ourselves, don't fit directly into the Ahab category of, of complete dismissal and regard for the word of the, disregard for the word of the Lord. We don't, we're not like, you know, we wouldn't call ourselves Ahab. We wouldn't call ourselves Ahaziah, which is his son, which does the same things that his father did in verses 51 and following. We wouldn't usually put ourselves in that complete dismissal category. You know, I'm not blind to the fact that we're, we're a Presbyterian church and we are built and founded upon the Word of God and that's why it's printed on the wall behind me. I know, we love the Lord. That's why we're here on a Sunday evening. We, we love the Word of the Lord. And so maybe we wouldn't put ourselves in that Ahab, Ahaziah category, but we do have something to learn from Jehoshaphat, I think. Particularly verses 43 to 44. 
He walked in all the way of Asa, his father. He did not turn aside from doing it. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Ahab was a terrible king. Ahaziah was a terrible king. Uh, Jehoshaphat is a, is a pretty decent king. Continuing verse three, though, verse 43, though. Yet the high places were not taken away. And the people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. Jehoshaphat also made peace with the king of Israel. Maybe, maybe we don't really fit into the category of complete dismissal, we say. But I think we probably all fit into the category of compromise. Which is how Jehoshaphat's kingship is defined as compromise on the word of the Lord. Doing most things right, but some things, you know, it's okay. But we need to know that compromise and complete dismissal aren't nearly as far, far apart as you might think they are. Same category of sin. One is just a little bit further down the timeline than the other. Both are headed for destruction. Both Israel, Ahab and Ahaziah, and Judah, Jehoshaphat, end up under God's judgment of destruction. Same trajectory for both. And this is what the book of Kings, both First and Second Kings, teaches us. is that compromise is so easily transformed into complete dismissal with really just one additional variable, if we're not careful. Time. Time and an unchecked heart will lead to destruction and judgment. And so we get to learn our lesson. That the only safety there is from the word of the Lord is in complete submission to it. The only safety there is from the doom and destruction that Christ will bring with him at his second coming. The only safety there is from that is in Christ. And the only way to be in Christ is by total submission to his word. And so as those who claim Christ as our Savior, we must also submit to Him as our Lord. And He exercises that Lordship through His Word. And when we try to shape it or we dismiss it, we are by definition denying Him as God and choosing ourselves as God instead. Which leads to destruction. But the only safety there is from the destruction of God, from the destruction that Christ will bring, is in Christ himself. The only safety there is from the word of judgment that is in the word of God is in complete submission to it. This is the message from God to his people in the book of 1 Kings. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would be very good stewards of it. 
and that we would not waste the instances and circumstances when you confront us with our sin, that we would not disregard your good wisdom, but that we would be wholly committed to Christ, submit ourselves to his word in every corner of our lives. Therein, we find safety, we find joy, we find the good life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.